What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And we're joined by two returning guests. Once again, we have Lauren McCaffrey in the hot spot. What's up, Lauren? Thanks for coming back. Hey, guys. And Pat McCaffrey's joining us once again. What's up, am Pat? I, am I in the cold spot? Yeah, yeah. You are in the cold spot because we can't see you. So you're getting, All right. you're getting the shoulder today. For episode 126, we're jumping finally into the last title in Stephen R. Donaldson's Gap Cycle with The Gap Into Ruin. This day, all gods die. Drew, we read up to and through chapter 23 for this week. So let's get our weekly recap, dude. All right. The Gap Into Ruin. This day, all gods die. Great title, by the way. Uh completes the pattern of the series picking up the story mere moments after and in some early chapters even minutes before the end of chaos and order on umcp hq hashi lebwal hurries to make sense of events as they spiral out of his control he works with lane harbinger to unlock the secrets of the kazi's id tag and chip as news comes in that the amnion have committed an act of war in the massive system as he is summoned to Warden's office, he discovers that the Kazi was indeed the infamous Nathan Alt, but that he was using the alias Clay Impas. Hashi presents what little evidence he has to Warden, Koina, and Chief Mandich, accusing Holt Fastner himself of sending the Kazis. Warden charges Hashi and Mandich to find incontrovertible proof as Koina departs UMCP HQ for the emergency session down on Sukabator. As if events weren't chaotic enough, in the midst of all this, Calm Horizons arrives in orbit over Earth, aiming her superlight proton cannon at Sukabator and threatening the destruction of UMCPHQ. Warden chooses to negotiate for time rather than attack, and goes aboard Calm Horizons to talk with Mark Vestibule. The Amnion plans to inject Warden with the same delayed mutagen as Ciro, but Warden has a suicide pill and prevents the plan from occurring. Meanwhile, aboard Trumpet, Ciro succumbs to his terror of the Amniani mutagen and sabotages the drives, despite Vector's proof that he's cured. The Gap Scout escapes Massive 5, but cannot maneuver and is stuck coasting in the middle of space. Punisher chases them down and takes them aboard, but Morn, Angus, and the rest in turn take Punisher's bridge by force. With Morn in command, they return to Earth. Meanwhile, Koina attends the GCES session, where Maxim Igansard accuses Warden of treason. Hashi and Lane work together with Chief Mandish to find proof of Holt's involvement with Nathan Alt and the Kazis. Amid a starship standoff and with the threat to Earth, Warden decides that Holt is the greater threat to humanity and agrees to turn the crew of Trumpet over to the Amnion. At just that moment, Morn decides that she has found a better way than self-destruct, even Warden's self-destruct, and they need to save Warden from Calm Horizons. That was remarkably succinct. Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it seems so less chaotic when you when you just <laughs> say it like that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this book has been an entirely different thing from the past books. I like, there's just just a level of immediate urgency and things. I mean, of course, you would expect that being the last book of the series. I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised to to, to come across it, but oh my god, like I am gripping my e-reader far more tightly than I was on yeah. any of the other ones. This is there's some serious shit going down here. Yes, yeah, that's sir. that's always been my my impression of this book and my memory, especially reading it the first time, was like literal white knuckle grip on my book because yeah. it it just it starts off intense and it doesn't it doesn't stop. Everything just keeps piling on top and piling on top, and you're like, 
what is going on. <laughs> ah. Okay, let's jump into style here. There's one thing in particular that I that I want to bring up, and it's something that I don't think I've brought up before. I don't think I have. I'm sure we've talked about it loosely, though. And this is something that is starting to get on my nerves, and it's kind of funny that I bring it up now at the end of the series that it's starting to get on my nerves. But the, 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 the staggering, the sheer number of times that a character will finish speaking a line, they'll have a line of dialogue, but then they will add a mental beat. They will add an additional sentence to themselves, for themselves, in their own head. It's just dialogue, 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 and then internal statement. Dialogue, dialogue, internal statement. Chapter 10 is one that I wrote down as just being downright obnoxious with them. There's so <laughs> many of them, and that's a min chapter there. Are you guys, uh -huh. like, noticing these as much as I am? Are they sticking, are they standing out to you as much as they are to me? Well, is it, is the line, it's got to stop? No, so no, yes. like, that's no, one this of is them. a min chapter. I know, I know. That's one of them, but there are, like... They're just all over the place. Will like Min will say something, or or Morn will say something, two, three sentences in a row, and then they will they will just have an internal sentence, one that's just for them. Yeah, Min does it a lot, especially like there's, I mean, just yeah, looking at chapter ten here, um, she says out loud, "I'll ask how he died later," end quotation mark, and then I'll ask you why you're talking for trumpet, why Angus is willing to let anyone else speak for his ship. That's all internal, and then external again. First, I'll answer your question, you know, and and it's very, very often that she does this. And I, I did notice it. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's just another one of those, um, like, uh, ways that Donaldson identifies the different characters' voices. But or this, is, this is something that Min does a lot more than anybody else. Sure, I guess, but they're all doing it, though. Like, Morn is very blatant about it. Angus is very blatant about it. I think Warden Dios is doing it quite a bit, but I could be wrong on that last part. But I know Morn and Angus are both doing it quite a bit as well. It's so the, the big things with Morn and Angus is that a lot of the time when they do it, they're remembering things they said or heard, whereas Min is, like, talking to herself. You know, like, with, with Morn and Angus, it's them repeating, you know, these sort of mantras, like... Um, oh, I think they're doing the same thing Min is. I've got to find a better way, you know, uh, it's got to stop, you know, things like that. Um, these, these aren't reveries, though. I'm not talking about reveries. Like, like I'm talking about, like, that I think I think they're doing the exact same thing Min is. I'm just, Min is most obnoxious about it. I shouldn't use the word obnoxious, because this could be, a, mm. like you said, a character-specific thing, but... I don't, it's 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 standing out to me so much, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on it. I'm just I'll, I'll bring it up again in the next episode because I'm gonna pay closer attention now that you're drawing that distinction. I'm gonna pay closer attention to Angus and closer attention to Morn, and I'll bring it up again in the next episode to see if I can like actually give more examples. Huh. yeah, I, I I definitely haven't had a problem with it. <laughs> no, no <laughs> it's, uh, it's noticeable, but I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. I. I should I should check myself because it's it, it seems to me like it's bothering me just simply because I'm noticing it. <laughs> I, I yeah. shouldn't be, or maybe it's because I'm noticing it all the time. But well, yeah, and, I, you know, I noticed that I was noticing it too rereading yeah. this. But I I thought that was just because it's a good way to I have it. read it multiple times, and mm -hmm. so you know, it, if I was reading it for the first time, I would have thought I would be more caught up in the in the flow of things and just taken really? in stride. But now I have like this more analytical approach. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for me, the the way I view it is that it's just another tool in in Donaldson's toolbox to um, to increase tension and dialogue to 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 build this kind of growing cloud of portent over the whole story, even on the micro level and not just the macro, like big plot level. That's uh it's it's a way for him to drive home the emotion of what the characters are going mm. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I'll actually I like backtrack. Sorry, go ahead. Live live updates about how the characters are feeling about the situation that's currently developing as opposed to all the dialogue happens and then you get one big reaction. Yeah, yeah, from a character. I think that would be clumsy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm going to wind that back a bit and say, you know what? No, it doesn't bother. I'm not going to say it bothers me. I'm just noticing that I'm noticing mm. it. I like the way you put that, Pat. Yeah, and, and that that is something, you know, uh, from a writer's perspective, like, <clears throat> it's not necessarily a good thing if you're doing something so often that a reader is noticing it and it's sticking in their head so that they're paying attention to your syntax and your sentence structures rather than paying attention to the story true if it, mm-hmm. if it draws you out of the story a little bit that could just be a bit of a sign yeah i'll bring it up again i'll bring it up again uh <laughs> style point anyone else anything else style oriented that we need to discuss today well i just i love the pacing uh, as has been mentioned before but it, it bears so much repeating yeah that's fair because it's it's such an avalanche the whole way yeah yeah <laughs> Like it's the Sander Lanch, but it's a whole book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a, a you know, just a couple of notes. Um, one of them, I really appreciated how Donaldson worked in a previous book recap, naturally, where Morn wakes up and she has completely missed everything. So for her to, you know, get on the same page as the rest of Trumpet. Davies has to tell her this is what happened right at the beginning of the book. And so in this this style is isn't really prevalent as much anymore. Um, but it absolutely was uh, was common when these books were being published that even in a series, authors wrote them so that a reader could pick up the book off the shelf at, at the bookstore and dive right in and not feel lost. So they would always find ways to um, recap what's already happened. In sometimes in the previous book, sometimes in the whole series. Some books I've seen do like a just a straight up plot summary, like a, a page before the story starts of like what has happened so far, you know. Right. Previously, and and some like yeah. Robert Jordan does it uh, a lot in his prologues in the Wheel of Time, where characters get points of view who were not present at the climax of the previous book and they're getting news of what happened. Right. So it, I, it, I'm kind of glad that it's it's a thing that's somewhat died out, although I think Sanderson does it to an extent. A little bit, but not nearly as much. Yeah, because it, it, it seems to me like the majority of readers at this point aren't picking up the fifth book in the series as the first one they're reading. Yeah, you know, there's been a cultural shift, really, in the last, like, really 10, 15 years around spoilers. Mm. Like, Ooh, spoilers yeah. were did not used to be a big deal. 
And now everything is, like, locked down. Don't read this if you want to avoid spoilers. No spoilers allowed in these forums. You know, like, tag everything with spoiler tags in, on Reddit, on Discord, whatever. Like, 30 years ago, people didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, look back to Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. In, in like, newspaper articles about the debut of the movie, they're talking about how Darth Vader is Luke's father in the headline. Like... And nobody really cared. Wait, like, he it, is? Oh my god. Like, what? It's, Dude, Drew, spoilers. Come on. <laughs> it's a... It, there, there's a completely different mindset and approach towards spoilers now. And so with, uh, with series especially... And I'm, I'm guilty of this to an extent. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm minorly famous for having a Cosmere reading order suggested reading order that goes around because i'm like it's better if you read it in this order um but at a certain extent brandon wrote the series to be read in in a specific order even though he says oh you can start wherever you want there are going to be things that ruin twists and surprises in other books if you don't read it in in a certain order just because you can it doesn't mean you yeah whereas whereas uh I'm I'm trying to think. So, for instance, um, uh, uh, Sword of Truth. When I read Sword of Truth, I read the fifth book first, what? and then I went back and reread the first five. Really? Yeah, and Ooh. and it was like, and then I stopped because so I was you like, started oh, yeah, no, with the chicken that was good. not a chicken. I started with the chicken that was not a chicken. I was on a. No wonder uh, you hate Terry Goodkind. Oh my I god! I was I was going on a, a like a plane Holy. trip to the East Coast, and. Uh, I was coming home and I didn't have any, I didn't have any books. And I just went into the, into the airport bookstore and grabbed the first like fantasy looking book that I, I found. And that was the one on sale from Terry Goodkind. And I was like, okay. And I read it and I completely, like, I didn't have a problem understanding the story or anything because he did a really good job at the beginning of it, of kind of recapping what's already happened He's in the say. series. And mm-hmm. now, like if I went in and picked up rhythm of war, and I had never read anything by Brandon Sanderson, I would be like, what is going on? And what is currently going on here is that my cat really wants to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) How much do you think social media has influenced this? Because I feel like back in the day, it wasn't so much, I say back in the day, you know, me and my wise old 29 years here. But but when when we were teenagers or younger, it wasn't so much that people didn't care about spoilers. I think it was just that social media wasn't so ubiquitous because now, you you could you could have one wrong tweet or you could have one wrong Facebook status and you can spoil it for hundreds to thousands of people by accident. Mm-hmm. Whereas twenty years ago, you'd probably have to be in person or at least overhearing a phone conversation to have something spoiled for you. I'm, yeah, I mean, or or any casual conversation. Um, I, I, internet sure culture plays... definitely has played, but but like I said, super popular stories had newspaper articles spoiling the big twist in the headline. Oh, that's true. Decades that's true. ago. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there absolutely is a different cultural mindset around spoilers now. But at the same time, we've got a massive number of German immigrants in this country, and his name is Father in <laughs> German. Oh, you're talking yeah, specifically yeah. about oh. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very subtle. Yeah, right. I didn't even know about that until a few years ago, and I had to even smack myself in the head. I was like, "Really? Yeah, well, you That's haven't even thing? watched oh Star Wars, so." Hmm. But <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. 
I'm, Rob hasn't watched Star Wars. Any of it. I've no. listen. I've I've tried to watch A New Hope about four separate times, and I just can't get through it. You're not we'll missing much, Rob. Yeah. I, I hey, listen, and I'm gonna piss off a lot of people when I say this. I've seen and loved the prequels, but I was a kid when I watched those. I tried to watch the originals as an adult, and that was a very different experience trying to trying to appreciate the originals as an adult, especially as a film student, than watching the prequels was as a kid. Well, I mean, as a kid, um, main character was about our age. For yeah. Well, and they're they're Fair. designed for and written by children, so. <laughs> it's only natural that. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, just read the read the novelizations. Yes. Thanks, yes. Mr. Stover. Yes, Mr. St- Matthew Stover. But but no, back to back to the stay all gods die. Um, I I had one other um, just kind of style note, and and that was how <laughs> uh. He he was ahead of his time uh, in IT, where the um the way they fix Angus ah. is by turning him off and turning him back yeah. on again. Yeah. <laughs> oh Gotta yeah, blow no, on I him and smack that. it a little bit. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Shake it because that does work. It does. Yeah, the great line, you know, the running joke in the IT crowd, the show. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've got to check out that show. I've meant to check out that show since I was in college, and I still haven't gotten around to it. It is very funny. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. Style, style. Anything else? Style, or shall we jump into characters? Let's go characters. I think this is going to be the bulk of the discussion. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Who are we starting with? Let's start with Hashi. Hashi. Oh, yes. The book starts Hashi. with Hashi. Okay. I mean, we and do the, start and with the Hashi. And session ends with Hashi. And it does. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I, I do enjoy reading Hashi a little more in this book than I had been previously or than I had expressed being previously. I thought he was a little uh, verbose in the last book. I thought he was a little superfluous in his language. And I appreciated, like, like, like the, the style of it. I just thought it was a little too much of that, that particular flavor. No problem with it in this book. I love it in this book. He's got, like... Oh my! From uh, from that fountain, endless disasters spring. A pox on the man who. Do- oh my! Uh, anybody who uses a pox upon somebody, <laughs> win instant win. And he's used it, I think, oh, yeah, twice now. Yeah. And uh, and forsooth, that's another mm-hmm. one of yes. his and my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can appreciate that. I actually, I just don't have any problem with it in this book. I don't know why I did in the last book, but I don't in this one. One of the things I really like about him uh, that he's demonstrating in this book, especially, is how. So much of his personality is a facade, and and when push comes to shove, he's willing to drop all of the like dramatic language and and the the, the wheezing tired voice and and just get straight to the point. Like, no, we need to deal with this. This is what's happening. This is what you need to do. This mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. Let's go. Like, <laughs> yeah, the gravity of the situation. Yeah, like his conversation with Morn, where he he starts off putting up this this front, where he's uh, uh to use the word that Rob recently used, prevaricating. Um, uh, Rob, you said you just learned that, uh, like okay, I was gonna uh, say, do I know that ago, word? Right? I must have just learned that word. Yeah, um, but, but he's you know he's not really taking 
mourn seriously. He's taking the situation seriously, but he's not taking her seriously until she says what he needs to hear. And then he's like, okay, I can drop the act. Let's get this done. Mm. Well, and there are a couple scenes where he unknowingly puts his lab coat right, like readjusts it and has it on right. And And he forgets to have this sloppy, like one shoulder off untied shoe thing. Yeah, and when and when he recognizes the crisis occurring with Lane Harbinger, he takes his glasses off and folds them and puts them in his pocket. Yep. Oh my God, I hadn't noticed these. I had noticed in the last book when he had done that on purpose to to look askew. I didn't notice that he was forgetting to do that in this book. Mm-hmm. Well, he oh, nice. he really does get serious and he shows it with his actions because it's it's hard to tell with his personality. That's a great you character. Know. I totally missed that. Nice. Yeah, he is he is fascinating. Like I still don't like I have a hard time fully getting on board with him because of the things he does to Angus in uh, Dark and Hungry God Arises, hmm. or is it the end of Forbidden Knowledge? I can never remember. It's the end of Forbidden Knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's when the warden goes to. It's it's really hard to get over that first impression of Hashi Lebwal, but by by the time we're in this book, he is a completely different. Or, or a deeper character than we realized at the beginning of the series. Yeah, I love his journey in this book, and especially in part two, there'll be a lot to say about what goes on with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but once you once you start to appreciate his motivation, you you get more appreciation for his way of doing things. And I'll just point out too that that no one besides Warden Dios actually sees through Hashi's uh, veneer. Right. Yes. Like, Unless no he one. decides to drop it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so anytime you get Hashi and Warden in the same room talking with each other, it's just <laughs> pure gold. Like, <laughs> that whole conversation with uh, with Koina and Chief Mandich um as they're like warden finally is just laying it all out for everybody and hashi like doesn't even care about the other two in the room they're they're like firing questions at him and he just ignores them and answers warden and <laughs> cuz he he's realizing the 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 depths warden is, has gone to to bring yeah. down Holt Fastner the respect mm-hmm. he has for ward is just yes. something that I can't get over because I like as I as an intellectual for Hashi I have such I should say I should rephrase that I have such respect for Hashi as an intellectual and the fact that he's constantly returning to how he's getting played or how he's being outmaneuvered by Warden it's just it, it he, the ability to for him to actually see that and admit that in itself is really quite something too I'm just like I, this character really does have a lot more depth it has a, he has a lot more uh, substance than I'd originally been prepared prepared for I guess yeah like it's it's funny he, how he is able to be so uh, reflective and introspective and recognize his failings, and yet he's, like, a completely, like, morally bankrupt person. <laughs> like, That's hard or, to or perhaps, to. perhaps ethically bankrupt rather than morally bankrupt. Like, he doesn't believe in good and evil, but he's very willing to reflect on his own failings and... and seek to improve himself while not like acknowledging that like improvement is a thing like I, I, it's tough to really grapple with <laughs> with the 
yeah, like the ethics of Hashi Lebwal. <laughs> right, but at really? the same time, that's what makes it uh, convincing. You know, he's one of, if not the only character that is, shall we say, amoral that I think is actually amoral instead of just immoral. Right. With, with yeah, an yeah, excuse. Amoral rather than immoral. Yeah, that's, that's a, good a good way point. to put it. I will say that right. makes him hard to relate to. Because mm-hmm. I can't drop mine. Yes, but you know, if, you're, get... if you're as pretentious as I am, uh, you, <laughs> you enjoy his pretentiousness and want want to incorporate it into yourself. It's a ballsy move <laughs> as a writer. It's a ballsy move. Got to respect. Yeah, that. but if you recall, if you recall um, why he was one of my favorite characters of all time, it's because I said he was an intelligent character who was convincingly intelligent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And like so many writers have like, oh, my character is the smartest character of all time. And I'm sitting here going, no, <laughs> no. Like their logical leaps are tiny. Yeah. Yeah. They're, his, they're, his are not. The logical baby steps. His are logical jumps. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it means so much more that he respects Warden after right. you see in his head how smart he is. Yeah. You know that that he can because he doesn't have a whole lot of respect for every other character. He for he respects no Mindonner for <laughs> that's putting it diplomatic. Her straightforwardness and her yeah he hates her but he respects strength. her. <laughs> yeah he hates her but he respects her. But Warden is is more than that. Right and yeah. and you often wonder why Hashi is doing what he's doing and why he's pretty you you know you consider him one of the good guys at this point. Yes, <laughs> one of the people who's working for the goals that, that we, the reader, want, and you go, sometimes you just go, "Why? Why is he in this position?" And it's all because of his attitude toward Warden. He's yeah. on this side because Warden is on this side. Yeah. So one of the things, I guess, this is more a style point, um, but it just occurred to me. I, I talked in a few episodes uh, about how the series was, you know, of course, inspired by the Ring Cycle and while it's it's dangerous to draw direct parallels between the story because it's not just a retelling uh but there are some inspirations you can see and and the in the ring cycle right you have a cast of of gods and you, and there's a cast of valkyries and a cast of mortals and the way i see the gap cycle is that the main players in orbit around earth are the gods mm-hmm. and what what I think makes this book my favorite is that this is where the gods become humanized. It's easy to see characters like Warden and Hashi and Holt and Sixten Vertigus and Godson Frick earlier in the series as larger than human, larger than life. Um, and certainly, in a literal sense, Holt is trying to become immortal. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. But in this book now, the the vulnerabilities and the fears and the motivations are being laid bare for all of these characters, and they feel human again rather than greater than human, and thematically appropriate considering the title of the book. Uh, but but also it brings a a huge amount of tension into the story when. It's not just Morn and Angus and Davies whose whose minds and hearts we know. Now, these mythically, you know, 
important characters in the series are also being opened up to the reader. Mm. Yes, yes, we're getting the divine perspective. So on that divine, obviously Holt is held above everybody else, and I find it interesting that Hashi doesn't seem to respect him, even though he's clearly accomplished a lot. Yes, all Hashi has for him is contempt. Yeah, why? Because of the smallness of his vision. I think. Yeah. Oh, is so, that what it? You think vi- that's? What yeah, the faster yeah, vision is because he's ultimately inward. utterly selfish. Yeah. yeah, but but Hashi is kind of. Is I don't just... think Hashi is selfish at all. Well, he's prideful. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah okay. That's prideful. that's better. But, but Hashi doesn't Hashi's... really care about like goals for himself. Everything he cares about is like expanding knowledge and learning more and plumbing the secrets of the universe kind of like yes he's he's all about experimentation taking things apart to put them back together and you know and importantly he's willing to serve yeah yeah ultimately his goal is to serve humanity he believes in the cops in a different way from say mindonner or or mourn or or even warden but he recognizes that there is a duty that the umcp has to humanity as a whole and that's why like at its root that's why he doesn't respect holt because holt views the umcp only as a tool for himself Mm -hmm. fair enough fair yeah um characters more characters anybody else are we wrapping up with hashi anything else about hashi yeah. in particular or are we going to yeah, save that for I'm next good on him. well let's let's stick with the gods and let's move to warden okay let's talk about warden <clears throat> how how angry are you about at warden at the end of this this part how angry uh, am i yeah uh. <laughs> i mean for not... deciding to give up trumpet well, he also dis- like he also ostensibly decided to give Nick Angus his codes, and that turned out to be, you know, okay in the end. So, like, I don't I don't know how if, if I'm entirely buying it. I, I you should have seen my eyes when I realized though that Ward was on the ship, and Calm Horizons was between the sh- uh, the Earth and uh, Trumpet inbound, and then uh, uh, more in realizing he was on there, I was just like when I realized that there was going to be this rescue attempts. Before it had even been announced, I was like, oh, "This is, this is awesome stuff." So I can kind of forgive it just for that, just for the, like, <laughs> I, I'm not particularly angry. I think I should be on paper. I should be, but I'm not. Okay, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a, a substantial difference between Holt ordering Warden to send the priority codes to Nick and, and Warden, Warden going through with it, taking all the responsibility on himself and choosing what he perceives as a lesser evil. But, you know, it might be the lesser evil. It all, it's, 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 that's a, I don't know. It's very subjective. I just, I think it's, it's really interesting how Donaldson framed it, where we have four books now getting to know intimately this crew of characters and then having Warden make a choice to, defend a much much more um distant theoretical good humanity as a whole a far more nebulous kind of good, yeah, uh, yeah over the people that we know and love or hate 
<laughs> yeah, but depending, hate, hate, that's hate. kind of his entire purpose, isn't it? That's like, as a figurehead, that's kind of his job. I, I mean, is it disappointing? Is it is it disappointing? Hell yes. Does it make me angry at Warden himself? No. Okay. All right. Well, well yeah. At this point, we uh, we want. We want to see him pay for his crimes and he's save earned the, day the right simultaneously. Pat, he's earned the right to pay for his crimes. Mm, mm-hmm. I loved that line when he's talking can, to. I think it was Coyne Hannish who was talking to. Can we yeah. talk about how perfectly Morn's character arc and Warden's character arc dovetail here? Yeah, where she she established this internal conflict in the last book of needing to find a better solution than self destruct. And then the moment she encounters Warden, she immediately recognizes his whole thing is purposely destroying himself to take down his enemy. And she's like, I need to stop him. This is my better answer. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. But her better answer is to let go of the responsibility. Like, not take it all and give it to Mindonner because she trusts. That's part of it. That's sure. part of it. I mean, she she has to recognize that as as much of a superwoman as Morn Highland has been for four books, <laughs> that there are some things greater than her, and and she she does recognize it and says, "Min, you're equipped to handle this. I'm not. I have other things I need to do." It's good though. I, I, was, I liked that. Yeah, great great character moment. And I and I love the character moment for Min too, where she stands up straighter and she like takes on the full force of it and just is immediately springs into action. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's no ready. One has zero hesitation. She was cocked yeah. and loaded. She just is waiting for the yeah. the say so from Morn, and then like shoots out of her G seat straight to the you know the communications yeah. board, and she's firing yeah. off orders and. Which, can I say that, like, Min's attitude toward Morn is the only thing that keeps Min from being an entirely obnoxious character to me? You know, so, this is interesting. Um, in Chaos and Order, on, on those episodes uh, with Rob, I think it was just the two of us for both of those. Um, yeah. I, I brought up how, in the past, in this read-through, like, Min was always, like, I, I didn't really like her. And this read-through, I'm finding that I like her a lot more. Um, I, I'm i not sure what it was that I missed on previous reads, or maybe I interpreted differently. But I, I, I was always frustrated by Min's interactions with Dolph, uh, especially. But also her interactions with Morn. And now I feel like... Maybe I was just overblowing those. Like I felt, I felt that Min and Dolph really only had one big argument, and then they came to an understanding. And even if they struck sparks, they worked together. And I just remember in the past reading it and feeling like Min was just her chapters were full of petty arguments. And now I'm like, no, there's not much petty about it. It's really yeah. just like people talking past each other. And then slowly coming to an understanding. And, uh, yeah, and like, and with Morn, uh, this is another point where early in this book, it's easy to see Morn rotate once again into kind of that villain role when she engineers a mutiny. 
basically, and takes over Punisher for essentially no reason. <laughs> like, Min, Min was going to do all the same things anyway. They were going to Earth as it was. Yeah, and... Mm-hmm. and she so, just wanted agency. Yeah, but sure. it's like... And, and that's where the... What you brought up, Lauren, her, she needs to come to the realization of this is not all on me. I don't need to do everything. And when she finally does and, and says, Min, go ahead, do your thing. I'll take care of myself. It's it's this kind of oh, like breath of relief. Like finally these people are talking to each other and not just being needlessly antagonistic to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only after they decide that they can trust one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at first, Morn is not able to have Min assume command. Yes, sort of. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it's one of those really tough things to reconcile where she has so much trust in Min Donner and that drives so many of her decisions. But then in other decisions involving the same kind of trust, she doesn't trust her. That's like mm-hmm. <laughs> a, little, a little bit of a head scratcher. Well, she's not sure where those decisions originated to give, you know, like the priority codes, Angus's priority codes to Nick or, mm-hmm. you know, any of the other ridiculous decisions that have come down the line. I get it. How, how would she know? Could she be wrong about Min? She could. Yeah, she could. It's fair. It's a fair point. There's a lot of character moments in this book that revolve around people telling each other the very unpleasant truth and having that be the thing that breaks through the barrier of trust. Yes. Yeah, it's particularly nice kind of, it's a yeah, it's a min mourn thing. But but even beyond that, it goes to Hashi, it goes to Warden, where this is where people are finally putting all their cards on the table. They're not they're not hiding what they're trying to do anymore because they realize this is the inflection point. This is when everything matters. And I and I have to just yeah, it's a. Um, oh no, I, I can't. I can't say it. There's a, there's a great line in the prologue of the final book of the Wheel of Time, where a certain character is talking to a group of other characters and and basically says, you know, the the time for planning is past. Ah, uh, yes. You know, now is the time mm. for action. <laughs> hmm. We all know exactly what you're talking about, my man. Yeah. But I, I I can't I can't spoil on a, not 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 a not a key point in a you know right, character right. moment at, um, at the end of a fourteen book series when we're covering uh, a completely different series. <laughs> any other characters though? Are we still because uh, we went uh, organically into Min there? Uh, anything else about Min Donner that we want to get out of the way, or are we going to move into others? Um, beyond just saying like again like Warden like Hashi. This is where we're seeing um, Min even more as a like a human rather than a mythical figure, because she had been mythologized by Morn and by Davies, and now they have gotten to interact with her, 
and see her as a vulnerable human mm-hmm. rather than a, a superhuman status symbol kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, who are we moving on to next? Well, yeah, I'll give you the choice again. Uh, let's move to Trumpet. Okay. Since we've already talked about Morn a little bit, let's talk about Ciro first. Ciro? Oh, God. Uh, oh, my God. If anybody God. really pissed you off. Oh, my God. Let me <laughs> well, tell you about Ciro. he's a child. Ciro. He's not child. He's old enough to deal with his he's own He's like decisions. 19. No, he's like 16. He's like 15, isn't he? 15, 16? No, he's older than Davies, and Davies is 16. Oh, wow. I just, I don't get it. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Like, Vector Shahid, the one who created the anti-mutagen, is telling him, look, and showing him, look, I have fixed this. And he's like, nah, I better betray my whole family and kill my family and friends instead. Just because, you know, the woman who was supposed to save me, who is dead now, by the way, would have wanted that. (laughs) Well, he doesn't. uh, At the time that he sabotages the drives, he doesn't know that Sor is gone and Sor's Chatelaine is dead. Hmm. But, however, it's uh, it's not about logic. No. Oh, I get that. That, that is one. That is the the defense of the of the Kiro twist. Um, has nothing to do with it. But it, I I'm kind of with Rob on this one that it, it, I don't buy it entirely. Entirely. See, oh. I do buy it, and it pisses me off. <laughs> like. It, it, He's insane. Like, the yeah. kid went insane the moment she, you know, captured him and and had him injected with the mutagen. He went irrevocably insane. And it's like... Yeah, I, I get that that's what he's trying to do, but I, for me it's not convincing like... because if you remember, we were talking about the fear of the Amnion. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I was a little bit skeptical about the depths to which the, that like that fear alone could could make someone sink 100 the, the 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 biggest example of where i don't think it's enough oh, i mean fear I, is fear and it almost doesn't matter at a certain point what you're afraid of fear can only do so much yeah but this one feels innate to me well, it, all our fears are innate to, to one extent. I don't know if I fully agree with what you're saying, that fear can only do so much. Different fears can do wildly different things to people. Sure. Sure. I just, I, I don't know if this is enough read. Like, this might just be a, a, a personal disconnect, whereas, like, I, I'm trying to put myself in a situation where I would literally kill my family to save myself and i know it's a very naive and ignorant thing to say there and sit there and say I, I would never see myself doing that because you don't know what fear can make somebody do but he had a lot of time to consider what he was going to do and he still ended up doing it i, I just don't see it and, and pat you nailed exactly how i'm feeling about this whole this depth of the fear of the amnion for all we know being an amnion could be way better than being a human we don't know that obviously that's a stupid <laughs> on the side argument but to betray your family and to to lead to especially such a horrible death too to be stranded in space and starving and thirsting to death or suffocating depending if the mm. carbon scrubbers can last that long like i just i don't i don't buy that he got that scared that quickly and led to such a big consequence because of a personal issue i just don't it doesn't the math doesn't work out to me 
as the person that I am. Yeah, yeah. I think this is very much a situation where like you're trying to put yourself in those shoes and say, well, I wouldn't do that. Right. But you're not everybody. Very clearly, there are plenty of people Which in is... the world today who would betray their family in a heartbeat. People do it all the time. Yeah, but like, never... sure. I think the difficulty here is that we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of something that is impossible. I'm trying to for think us, of something for us right here and right now. Like I'm as trying to think of something to... I fear enough that would make me do this, and I can't think of anything well, like, that I fear enough to make me do something like that. We can imagine something like going into battle and being afraid, or even just going EVA and being afraid. <laughs> uh, those, like, we can connect to it because we have enough real life context to get it. But he, what Donaldson is trying to do is is invent a new fear for us like none of us are ever going to be threatened with what these people are threatened with in their lives it's impossible um so so while i think he's doing a really good job he's coming up against inevitable difficulties see i feel like this is where you know this is fantasy this is science fiction it's not real the suspension of disbelief is a thing yeah like and you guys are trying to frame this not real story in real terms i'm trying to suspend my disbelief but it's not working <laughs> it's, it's, I, guess. Uh, I can't detach myself enough i i'm still always trying to put myself in like i don't know i'm still always trying to find some common ground with a character to to, to find a rationale for something that's this important and this horrific but it's clearly not rational that's the point yeah i get it <laughs> but you can also use that same argument with anything like you could then go in just do literally anything you can rationalize it by saying, well, it's not about rationality. Yeah, but at a certain point, it's like, I mean, am I supposed to feel the, with this character? Am I supposed to be invested in this character? The overriding theme of the conflict in this series is that humans are irrational and the Amnion are purely rational. Like, I don't know. No, that's got something to do with it. Um, and it's not that like the fear itself would be irrational. It, it's entirely rational in the way that Donaldson's yeah, framing it. Yeah is framing his his story but that's not the issue for me i'm not going to condemn this as like bad as a writing mistake or anything like that it's just something i can't quite level with myself i can't quite bring myself to understand yes I, i'm in it's the a, same it's a very subjective thing i'm not trying I'm to say same it objectively yeah. see and i i totally get this fear I, I can feel this one yeah it makes sense to me that you would be so viscerally terrified that you would lose your mind and everybody who's been injected with mm-hmm. a mutagen loses their More mind than if they death, don't though. have That's an immunity drug. See, I wonder what you have, Lauren, that I lack. Same. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure this out. Yeah. Because like, clearly it's, it's something. Because you and Drew both get it. It would, it would make me afraid to, to lose everything that I am and everything that I have worked for. And then know that afterwards I would betray all of the things that I care about. That makes sense. To be used Maybe as a weapon against because Rob and I don't care about anything. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's, a, there's a certain horror there that I hadn't even considered, and that is being used as a weapon to further hurt the rest of your family and the rest of your species. Yeah. Sure, okay, yeah, I haven't I, considered I have, that part of it. And I have allegiance to um, my species, my... You know, my family, my culture, my... Right. Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. Fair enough. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, uh, uh, how about Angus? Wait, wait, wait. I have one oh, more thing to say about Ciro. Okay. Go, go ahead. Kiro, Ciro. I say Ciro. Yeah, I say Ciro as well. It's the Polish, right? Visach? Like, yeah. Oh, is it? I think it is. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Um, I don't see him making it through this series. Ciro? Oh, is this your first time reading? Yes. So, yeah, I, I've been oh, given right, Lauren... because Lauren... Yeah, <laughs> somehow put this book down. At some, yeah, at Lauren some got point. like 160 pages into this book and stopped reading it years ago. And I don't oh know gosh. how. I don't that's have like a good physically excuse. physically impossible. This one. That's that's the yeah, crazy this thing this book. <laughs> not the last one, but this not book. Not book four, not book one. This one. Dang. Yeah. We are like five chapters past the furthest I've gotten. Yeah, like, Lord got up to the point that Warden was on the shuttle going to Calm Horizons and stopped reading. <laughs> I just don't have a good excuse. I was <laughs> Drew, I missed it in your recap. Has um, has Ang- Have Angus and Kiro had, yes. had moments? Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah Angus, they come back? Yes, they, they came back. Um, uh, they fixed the drives on Trumpet, and Angus taught Sierra how to use Singularity Grenades. And that's what I want to talk about. Oh, Yeah. So I I see him committing suicide here with a singularity grenade because he's already lost his mind and it doesn't seem to be he doesn't seem to be bouncing back. And mm. he, Angus gave him a purpose. That's dark. And I think that's all he can live for right now. That's yeah, it, dark. And it, it ties in with what happened in the last book where he, he lost his mind, but Saurus gave him a purpose and he couldn't think of anything else he was so utterly fixated upon that purpose that all else was excluded you and now bad, he's been bad given situation. another purpose and so even even when everybody around him is talking about like other solutions he's just like happily talking to himself use the singularity grenades like i know how know. to use them i saw yeah like, so like into a black hole <laughs> <laughs> end it all <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Suffering. yeah, you know you're in a bad situation when Angus is the only person that can relate to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not... Oh, no. Yeah, no. I, no, Angus had a great line, like, instead of kicking him into the corner like a puppy, you know, I gave him something to do. Yes. And that just kind of shuts everyone up. Yeah, but they're shut up for different reasons. I'd be shut up out of horror. Just sheer horror. Like, yeah. What? But I think that's um, that's actually a really good segue into Angus, Pat, because that line is emblematic of a change in Angus, where he is now thinking of people around him rather than just being utterly selfish in his fear. Yeah, and what he's what he did is not entirely selfless. No. Um. But but it has something of someone else in in it. Yeah. So like we're, he hasn't broken through into, um, let's say heroic pure heroism, pure selflessness <laughs> by any no. stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Perhaps. However, yeah. it's the, the cracks are starting to emerge. I mean, he's dedicated to helping Morn, despite what it will do to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like, he can bluster about how he doesn't care about this, that, or the other thing, but it, it, it sounds more and more like bluster the more he does it. Yes. Yeah. Like, he, he's a fundamentally changed person the moment uh, 
Morn agrees in Chaos and Order to fix him so that he doesn't have the priority codes. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, I forgot to mention this as well. There are deeper priority codes. Yes. yes. Yeah, I just made reference to one about a minute ago, but I said it very quietly. Yeah, so. we have we have apotheosis that yep, that's the one I said yep. unlocks all of his databases and gives him like full control over the information inside of him. Um, vasectomy. Vasectomy, which <laughs> oh, what did that one do? Doesn't it destroy? No, oh, that was um, uh, sepulcher that destroys. Yeah, him. Sepulcher, oh, sepulcher is the yeah is the self destruct. I think it um, just allows him to make it gives him more. I remember seeing that uh, for vasectomy and thinking, oh, he has more agency that way, or he can like make more yeah. Decisions it, the that first way. two were like how were were Hashi telling Warden how to set him free, and the third was telling him how to destroy him. Yeah. Oh, the word vasectomy will enable him to harm or kill anyone who interferes with him, anyone at all. It will free him from all restriction in his response to UMCP or UMC personnel. And yeah, vasectomy? Well, damn it, Hashi. Sometimes I'm forced to admire your sense of humor. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a big risk doing that. It's just like voice activated and anybody... Yeah, I know. ...who like, happens to be looking at a dictionary... There are, what, 400 some odd thousand brain? words in yeah, the yeah. English dictionary in the English language, but you never know, man. You never know. Yeah, it, I, I love the irony in, um, in the Yohashi saying, like, well, you know, I had to think of some words that he probably wouldn't you know, run into anybody <laughs> saying, and I'm like, all of these words are like totally the kind of words that Stephen R. Donaldson would use. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe Angus picks up poetry, and then we're all screwed. Yeah, you never yeah. know. Oh, crap. Or Angus stumbles over a copy of uh, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. And... <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Worst crossover ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Uh, Angus. Anything, uh, Angus? Oh, I, I, I totally forgot about this point. And this is just a a, uh, a superficial point, but I love the fact that we started his points of view in this book with the first scene from Angus is him dangling into the singularity at the end of that tether with just, yeah, just right. ruin and gravity and warping space-time and reality around him. And it was just, oh, it was such a cool start. This is something I would want to see in an IMAX. Just big oh. right there. That would be so just... Ah, I love it. Yeah, this is definitely one of those series... I don't know if we've even mentioned this, but, like, give, give me a, a five-season... Uh, sure. You know, HBO treatment of it's this It's dark series. enough for HBO. HBO would jump right at that. If it is dark, yeah. yeah. Well... Ooh, that would be... As long as that's not the only thing that they gravitate toward about the series. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one that I feel like... You don't need to make many changes to make it work on the screen. Like there, there are some things like the Wheel of Time, Stormlight. Like you, you simply have to make changes to make it work in a in yeah. a on screen format. Uh, this you don't really have to do much. One of like, the most difficult bits is something we were already discussing about the uh, character's internal dialogue. And and at least with with some of those lines, like the, you know, we've committed a crime against your soul, I have to find a better way. Uh, you can do that as, like, a voiceover, because you already have the character saying that line out loud. Yeah. Fair. You know, but, but things like um, the, the interstitial dialogue where, or monologue where a character 
says something to themselves in the middle of a sentence talking to somebody else. It's yeah. like, yeah, you can't really do that. <laughs> it's tricky. Unless you're peep show. Yeah, unless you're peep show. <laughs> and, and I don't think uh, I don't think filming the gap cycle from first person perspective oh would work very well. <laughs> David Mitchell plays Angus and Robert Redford plays Nick. Oh my god! Oh no! <laughs> oh, he's too small. He's not big enough. <laughs> David Mitchell. Yeah, he'd yeah. have to bulk up in both ways. Have Have True. David Mitchell play like I don't know. Godson. <laughs> Godson. All right, Frick. all right. Fair. Totally fair. Uh, uh, are we still on Angus? Or can I start sure. sussing well, on Cletus? If we Fett, have anything it? more on Angus, I've no, pretty I'm much good. said everything I had. Cletus Fane. Oh. Mm. Let's talk about Santa. Santa Claus with Ugh. fangs. <laughs> Santa Claus with fangs, yeah. Oh, Dead, my goodness. Santa. I, I, I'm, I... It's weird. I just wish we had had more context of this guy's existence before this book. Or I should say before the last book, but yeah. we really had more context for this. But like, I wish we had at least had a name drop two or three more times. Like, you know, uh, I had assumed as a new first-time reader that, that, that Cletus Fane was just Holt Fastener's, like, alter identity. You know, alternate identity. I didn't realize that this dude, this dude exists. And yeah, yeah. really sketchy. Real, obviously really sketchy. Although, it's creepy. <laughs> I learned a new word. And a word that I'd never heard before when used to describe him. And I'm going to spell it out for you. I want you to pronounce it for me, Drew. Okay? okay. B-O-N-H-O-M-I-E. Oh. Uh, Is that Bonamy? Yeah. Bonamy. Yeah. It's like... Okay. Well, I looked it up. He uses it a bunch in this book. And the funny thing is, I have the appropriate French background to actually understand this word without even having heard it before. Mm-hmm. Because Bonamy... It is it's very, friend, very similar to French there. bonhomme, which is good man, but also kind of means snowman, which also gives it more Christmas context as well. You call the snowman, you call him bonhomme de neige. And it's always been a word that I've laughed at, the word bonhomme. And so I came across this word. I'm like, well, it's he's already described, described as Santa Claus with, with a huge beard and everything. And now we have bonhomie. I was like, okay, I understand this word without even having heard it before. <laughs> and it made me giggle. I giggled about that word for a good 30 seconds. <laughs> Staring at that word, and like, then I just, I like a child, like a six-year-old, and then I continued. But I just, I needed to draw the point, the, the point that I learned a new word, and I didn't even need to look it up. I, I feel like uh, Cletus Fane has been a, 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 a font of new words for you. Last week it was avuncular. Avuncular, yeah. Well, no, uh, was it a, was it Cletus Fane that was described as avuncular? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I think, I think it's also used to describe Hashi's voice at one point, but... Uh, but Cletus Fane is definitely described as avuncular. Yeah, really. Who else would have been avuncular in this, though? That, that's a yeah. good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is a, a fount of new words for, for sure. And this one made me giggle. So. Um, yeah. Let's talk get, about Koina. Koina Hanish. Okay, I'm kind of over it. I, I don't get... Uh, oh, I love Koina. <laughs> hey, you know what it is? It's just because I don't like politics. And unfortunately, that's she's the one who's bringing the politics now. I don't, I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, but the but, politics are so good. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, but but, yeah. but <laughs> are they? From my point of view, the goodness of it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Koina. Like oh, it's see, more the situation. Yeah, the situation's awesome, but I like Koina because I like the kind of person she represents. Mm. Like she is. Yeah, how do I put it? Like 
Maybe maybe it's just because she is in comparison directly with Godson Frick, who is utterly detestable. But the earnestness of her and the way she comports herself mm. is just admirable to me. Like, she's mired in this just mess of duplicity and lies and evil and she is this like shining beacon of earnestness and honesty mm. which makes her the most fictional character in this political setting in the entire <laughs> in the entire book i mean nice nice no, i mean there Spicy are people thing. who are like that they just never get put into positions of power yeah. and she because of warden he shoved her into a position of power because he mm -hmm. was like, you know, he had been keeping an eye on her. He knew at some point I'm going to need a PR person who will do the right freaking thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just like her a lot. It's, it's a little late in the day to get uh, like terribly invested in her emotional difficulties, but by and large, I do like her as a character. I expect to like her more in future rereads. I guess that's how I feel about her. I expect I will like her more then. Yeah. I don't I really appreciate... complain. And I'll say, we haven't gotten to the best of Koina yet. Cool. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I really like that she takes the time to shut everything down and just reflect. Like, she's doing that in the dark at one point. Right. Where she's yeah. like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What do I want? Who do I want to be? Do I do I should I be in this position? Should I have this job? She she's should like I get a meditation. Else? She's like the only person that we see doing that. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, anytime she has a a major decision ahead of her, she rewinds everything and like retraces her steps and and her motivations and her uh, her desires and she's like, "All right. What got me here? How do I want to proceed?" Yeah, I liked that. She has a very. Logical I appreciate that. That makes approach. yeah makes her relatable. Mm -hmm. That she has to struggle with it. And I I know this has been brought up before, but I I do love what a an absolute contrast she is to Lane Harbinger. <laughs> I love Lane. <laughs> yeah. Can you relate to her, Pat? Uh, sort of <laughs> in, in, in one or two very particular ways. Yeah, <laughs> the, the coffee and the cigarettes. <laughs> 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 no, never. No, I. Uh. I I love her, and seeing her in distress was just like, you know, you know. And then she brought Hashi, this pure moment of him like taking the glasses off and and actually caring about another human. Yeah. And having to show it and figure out he's he's not good at this, but figure out how to reach her. That was so, special. One thing I really loved about that scene was the the very real phenomenon that happens with her where she misses something glaringly obvious, right? About tracing the, the ID tag. And, you know, he's like, well, we have to trace the tag. And she's like, do you think I haven't tried? You know, and he's like, no, no, not the chip. The whole tag that we have. And it's this phenomenon when you're working on a complex problem you get stuck in yeah. thought processes. And uh, for me, I, I play a lot of like Sudoku. I do a lot of Sudoku puzzles. Really? I'm and doing this now. every once in a while, you know, I'll be, I'll be doing a, a puzzle and 
I'm just like, I cannot see a solution. I, I'm, I know there's something that I'm close to, but I cannot see it. And I have to step away for like five, ten minutes, and I come back, and I can see different patterns. Because I had been stuck in certain patterns. And Hashi comes in and allows her to step out of these patterns that she's been stuck in. I love it, because it's such a real struggle. Like, people do this all the time, even if they don't notice it. I can agree. Mm-hmm. As someone who has spent 10,000 hours of their life video editing, I can agree. I know <laughs> that feeling. I know that feeling deeply. Yeah. Yep. Um, do we have any other characters that we want to talk about? Uh, I just want to mention how much I love Dolph Ubiquay. Yeah, I was say, his name is right here in front of me. Dolph is dope. I like him. He's, he's hilarious. Uh, yes. This, so this was going to be one of my um, uh, one of my miscellaneous points uh, when <laughs> when Ubiquay orders uh, Patrice to get rest. Yes, I have yeah. the quote. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Captain. Patrice murmured weakly. He may have been close to losing consciousness. No, Sergey. Dolph countered. Despite his own fatigue, his voice was almost loud enough to echo. Speaking for the whole ship, I want to thank you. You aren't just good, you're certifiably brilliant. If we ever get out of this mess, Director Donner and I are going to throw you the biggest, loudest, drunkest, soppiest goddamn party you've ever seen, and I will personally court-martial anyone who doesn't end up comatose. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good one. What a a gangster. What a winner. (laughs) Yeah, and the fact that he's even able that, that he's able to make the decision to take a swing at a cyborg, yo. How, I don't know how he manages to float even in zero g with balls that heavy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well said. Here. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, I, I sh- this really isn't even a character point. I just wanted this might have even been a style point. I just l- really loved and appreciated the fact that we got a like a Mark Vestibule point of view. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was awesome. I was so on board as soon as I saw it, and I looked right at the top of the, of the e-reader, and it said page one of six, because it gives me a chapter counter. I was like, aw, six pages? That's it? I was hoping this would be like one of them 40-page ones. Nope. It was really quick. But it was all <laughs> One of them 40-page ones, yeah. <laughs> we got a couple yeah. of those in, in, this, uh, in this section. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I have a prediction to make, and this is about Ooh. Vector. Ooh. Dude's gonna die. He's gonna die. Yeah. He's in pain from all of the hard G, and he's being—he's still being so friendly, and he's still trying to help so much. And he has this quote here, we have more important things to worry about. And I'm just like, uh-oh, this guy's going to get Sid Mackerned. Like, I, <laughs> I realized how important he is with his research. Dude, is, dude has to die. He, he absolutely has to die just for the dramatic effect. And then, later in this same scene, when I'm already worrying about this, he brings food and coffee around. And with this already in my mind, Morn tells him, Vector Shahid, you deserve to live forever. And I went, oh my god, now you're just Death teasing sentence. me, Donaldson. Morn, why'd you say it? Why'd no characters this it? kind get to live through these kinds of books. They just don't. Well, so I'm making the call. He's gonna die. He's accomplished everything already. For him. True. And he he's did just it. so... He's done. He's so, uh... I don't want to say benevolent, because that sounds that sounds detractive. I He just so... He seems... At peace. 
he seems like he's he's got like a different i can almost see it the different smile on his face now he seems satisfied he seems confident he's accomplished something like you just said lauren he's accomplished something huge in what he needs to so i just i i just know he's gonna die i just have that feeling phlegmatic is a good word to describe him it is <laughs> yeah um, so yeah, that's my yeah. Okay. Um, do we have any other miscellaneous points, or shall we head into the final draft? I'm ready for the final draft myself. Anyone else? Yes. Let's do it. Yes, indeed. Okay. I mean, I'll just get mine out of the way because once again, I'm just drinking water and some some pretty flat Coke Zero by this point, which was not particularly refreshing. But water is what really I'll be focusing on. You know. Well, we're just... not going to get the. Uh... The ad revenues from Coke anymore, damn it. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to this one. I'll put it aside. So, what about you guys? What are you dripping? What are you sipping on? Um, It's early in the morning for me, so just some coffee and water. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm, on the, uh, I'm on the Lane Harbinger diet this, ah. this a.m. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Well, right. uh, we... We are sticking to the bit, despite it being early. Um, we are drinking a beer over here. And uh, it is a Coffee Imperial Stout from Hopfly Brewing Company in North Carolina. At least it's coffee-based, so it's a little breakfasty, I guess. Okay. Um, but it's 10%. It's a lot to do uh. this early in the morning. Um, I don't know. It's okay. What do you think, Lauren? It's fine. Um, it was an easy switch from coffee to coffee stout. For her, I don't. <laughs> Have you had me. both this, in the same morning? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man, <laughs> that was me yeah, up. that's I, I could see that working. It was yeah, it was very easy, and it doesn't it doesn't feel as heavy when you're going from flavor to flavor. Yeah, same flavor. Far better than going to like an IPA, for example. That would just. I was feeling it though this morning. I would yeah. have done an IPA, but I also have. This. Nice. I didn't think you were going to open that. Oh, well, I decided to. <laughs> Lauren can't be contained on the Inking Out Loud podcast. Yeah, well, I couldn't do it, like, before, or between coffee and coffee, so. <laughs> the look on Drew's face after, when you cracked and... that was cool. Well, I, I haven't said what beer we're drinking yet. You haven't? Okay. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the beer we're drinking is called Big Big Trouble. Ooh. Nice. Yes, yeah. very appropriate. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Written by Donaldson itself, it sounds like. No, he used far better language. And and the other thing that I just started is called it's a it's an imperial apple cider, eight point five percent. Called imperial apple cider. That's what it says. That's why I went. Ooh, what does that mean? It is called Excelsior. Excelsior. Ah, Excelsior. Very nice. Very nice. Oh my gosh. I wish my Stan Lee impression was any better, but it's definitely not. Well, I uh, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. This has been episode 126 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, next up, we will be listening to my cat yell because he wants lunch. Um, <laughs> uh, next up, we will be finishing off the gap cycle with the second half of This Day All Gods Die. As always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. 
and our special guests, Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks, guys. And Mr. Patrick McCaffrey. Can't stop working. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.